Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. This week's show is supported by True Leaf Market, the indoor and outdoor growing experts. And I'm really grateful to True Leaf Market, who will be popping up every week for the next three months as one of our show sponsors. Use coupon code on the ledge to get 10% off your first purchase at trueleafmarket.com. True Leaf Market has everything you need to get started with growing food indoors, including a microgreen starter kit for mess-free hydroponic growing and an incredible range of non-GMO seeds. True Leaf Market has everything you need to get started with growing food indoors, including a microgreen starter kit for mess-free hydroponic growing and an incredible range of non-GMO seeds for microgreens or sprouting, including wasabi mustard and Thai basil. They also stock an extensive range of veg and flower seeds for your indoor and outdoor growing projects. And if you have problems with your dog or cat eating your houseplants, True Leaf Market's dog and cat pet grass kit should give them something more nutritious and safer to munch on. So go and check out trueleafmarket.com now. And don't forget to use the coupon code on the ledge to get 10% off your first purchase. Bringing you foliage, flowers and fun since February 2017, this is On The Ledge Podcast. This week I'll be talking about growing herbs indoors with a young YouTuber who has taken the gardening world by storm. I'll also be answering a question about a rare climbing plant for terrariums and sowing my Saracenia purpurea seeds. I do hope you've had a productive couple of weeks and a great Easter. Thanks to those of you who joined me for my Facebook Live over the Easter period. I had a bit of trouble with technology. My computer refused to let me use the camera and microphone for a bit, but after half an hour of scrabbling about, we managed to make it work. So thanks to those of you who bore with me for that. And we had a great fun for an hour chatting about all sorts of things. There were a few questions that I didn't manage to answer, either because my brain just seized up and I couldn't remember the answer or couldn't remember the plant. Uh, And I'll be trying to cover those in the next couple of episodes, including today's Q&A. But it was lovely to see so many of you joining in and getting the chance to have a little peek inside my home and see some of my houseplants. So thanks so much for joining me. That was, of course, in celebration of reaching 100 patrons, and I've now smashed through that target and I'm hopefully on my way to my new target of 200 patrons. And the new patrons who've joined since my last show are Frank, who joined the $10 tier to become an On The Ledge superfan. Ezra, who's also signed up as an On The Ledge superfan, getting the chance to become part of the On The Ledge special advisory board for listeners. And Eleanor and Lindby, who have both joined the $5 tier. Oh, and Starlight Botanist has upgraded to the $10 tier. So thank you all for putting your faith in On The Ledge. One of the questions that came up during the Facebook Live was, 
you're always quoting the figures in dollars. Does that mean you have to be in the US to contribute to Patreon? And the answer to that is quite simply no. You can contribute via any currency whatsoever. You'll just get your figure translated into your own currency and you can pay via PayPal or via your credit card. Several people have said they found it surprisingly easy. So don't be intimidated if you're able to give just a dollar. That would help enormously to support the show. And remember, if you give that $5, then you get extra content, which I do put a lot of work into. So it's definitely worth checking out if you find that you're missing on the ledge in between episodes. And of course, when we take little breaks, as we've just done. Wolfie was getting a lot of love after appearing in episode 89 and I put a picture of him on Instagram as well. Wolfie is my hairy hound and I will put out a tiny little bonus episode just five minutes long about Wolfie, which if you're into dogs, you might want to listen to or if you're not, you can just skip. But you can find out more about Wolfie in that little mini episode coming up soon. Somebody also has helped me out with the answer to the question uh, that was in my Apple podcast review, strangely enough, (laughs) about hardy spider plants. Thank you so much to Anna Dickey. She told me that the seller was Van Muen, who are a plant seller here in the UK, who are offering Chlorophytum saundersii starlight, which is being sold as anthericum or the hardy spider plant. This apparently can be grown outdoors all year round with elegant variegated foliage and starry white flowers. Yes, it does look very similar to the housebound chlorophytum. And it says it's ideal for containers and mixed borders. So this is an interesting one. You can buy this relative of Chlorophytum camosum, same genus, different species by the look of it. Um, and it, grow it outside. Of course, you can grow your spider plants of the chlorophytum camosum type outside too, but you have to bring them in before the frost. So they won't get, because they just won't like being frosted. But this one seems to be a tougher proposition. So definitely worth a look if you want to expand your spider plant collection further. And thanks again to Starlight Botanist, who also left me a lovely review on Apple Podcasts and called the show The best houseplant podcast, hands down. Ooh, that's nice. Thanks, Starlight Botanist. Um, Although she does say, you can always learn something fun and interesting and for better or worse, discover a new and wonderful plant or two. Yes, it does have a habit of doing that, this show, doesn't it? Costing you money. I apologise in advance. Thanks also to T4SCH, who left a review on the UK version of Apple Podcasts, uh, in which... He or she called the podcast all in all a lovely thing. Well, that's kind of what I'm aiming for around here. So that's great to hear. If you like plants that are multi-purpose, then herbs are a really fantastic thing to grow in the house. My interview today is with Hugh Richards. The Guardian called him the new kid in the herbaceous border. Bit inaccurate, Guardian, because actually he's more likely to be in the veg bed than the herbaceous border. But anyway... (laughs) Hugh Richards is definitely somebody to look out for when it comes to finding out how to grow veg. But, you know, we're an indoor show, so I'm not talking to Hugh about allotments or outside, although a little bit of that does creep into this episode. But I wanted to know his tips for growing herbs indoors. So we go a little bit mad for mint. We find out what ollas are. And Hugh talks about an amazing compost made from sheep's wool and bracken. So my name is Hugh Richards and I started growing when I was about three and I'm now 20 and I'm possibly most well known for my YouTube channel, which just teaches people how they can grow their own food, no matter what scale that they have at home. 
Hugh, I don't know when I first came across you. I think it was probably when your YouTube channel blew up and you were in the Guardian's pass notes or whatever they call it, the yes. EG2. Um, <laughs> and I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, hang on, he's, he's suddenly hitting the big time. Was that a moment where things just blew up for you and your YouTube channel went crazy? Uh, it, it, was, it was quite um, unbelievable. It was just over a year ago, actually, and it got picked up my story got picked up first in the western mail and then it was the times um the mail and the guardian and then the guardian weekend and there was just this moment of constant emails and phone calls from people all, all over the country with different opportunities i had um i had like three or four publishers contact me i had loads of agencies um six different tv production companies <laughs> it was it's all a bit um shocking to be honest well when did gardening get so popular this is uh, i mean it's great to to see you as a guy of 20 uh, promoting gardening and doing excellent stuff on your youtube channel that's very inspirational i know a lot of my audience are in their 20s and um absolutely love gardening and are really into it and are sort of defying the perhaps uh, stereotype of older people that that younger people aren't really into gardening so you you started off when you were three um was that was it a sort of a family hobby that everyone got involved in was that how you got started yeah so we moved actually when I was about nine months old from Yorkshire we moved to midwest Wales just about half an hour inland from Aberystwyth uh, because my parents were always inspired by things like John Seymour's book of self-sufficiency and like the TV show, The Good Life. And, and they thought, Aww. tell you what, let, let's move. Let's get a small holding and just be a bit more self-sufficient. So ever since I can remember, and I've, I've got a terrible memory anyway, but looking back, um, they just they just got me involved with everything. And I'm really grateful, actually, because... As I grew up, I kind of learned about the true story of, of food, where it comes from, and also how to grow things and how to care for plants. And, and a lot of kids really miss out with that experience. Yeah, that's very true. And so you're obviously, it was obviously in your blood and you're exposed to it really early, which is great. So you're really known for your for your veg growing exploits. And in fact, your new book, Veg in One Bed, is sitting in front of me. And it's, it's rather lovely. So this is all about how to grow lots of food in one raised bed month by month, uh, which is great. And I, as somebody who has raised beds, I, I shall be leafing through and getting some inspiration. But On The Ledge is about indoor gardening. So we're really here to chat about some things that we can do indoors. I know that sometimes I don't do a huge amount of stuff on edible things you can grow indoors. So I'm hoping to correct that this week by having a chat with you about some of the things you can get up to indoors. I I said to you, I think when we had our chat pre-interview chat um, about Get me getting a bit sniffy about people trying to grow lavender indoors. And you sort of said, well, why not grow lavender indoors? So let's just talk about some of the herbs that you can grow indoors and what works and what doesn't work. What are the key plants that can work as herbs indoors? Firstly, I'd, I'd go for the annuals, definitely. Um, and although technically things like parsley are a biannual, on the second year, they actually send out flowers um, and aren't as productive. So what I do is sow a new crop every, say, February or March, just so you can get a good harvest. So things that I find are more of the leafy greens 
green kind of herbs. So basil, mint, coriander, parsley, those all grow really well. Um, and, and they need a little less care because when you then come on to things like rosemary and, and lavender, it, it can get a bit more difficult and a bit more complicated. So for me, I feel if someone is just starting off and they've got a, a windowsill or something and they want to grow some, some herbs, then I would definitely go for, for something like basil or parsley. That's great. And uh, I think basil is great because there are some really, really beautiful cultivars out there of basil, which look really, I mean, you, they could they could stand in as a kind of an attractive foliage plant. I'm thinking of some of those kind of purple leaved ones, um, which are yeah. really, really stunning. Um, so when you're when you're coming to, to sow your uh, seeds, well, what's the basic procedure with that we've been doing a lot of seed sowing here and on the ledge for our on the ledge sow along but is is sowing um something like basil or parsley any different than say sowing coleus like you might we've been talking about so sowing um especially though the ones that i mentioned they're kind of the leafy green kind of herbs that they all follow a very similar process in terms of sowing so i'd say start in february and also sow them in the pot you want to harvest them from. I think that's really important. So in terms of pot diameter, make sure that it's at least about four, four to five inches wide. So about 10 centimeters. If you can get bigger, obviously that is going to be a bit of a benefit for you. Um, but what I do is sow them about a quarter of an inch deep, so half a centimeter and use a potting mix uh, because potting mixes uh, are made specifically to grow in pots, you know, the, the clues in the name. Um, so I'd also try and recommend to use peat free as well. And if you want to try something new, there's, there's this new compost company that's had a lot of publicity. I'm sure you've heard of them. Dalefoot Compost. Have you heard of them? I have, yes. I've used their compost many times. Yeah, so they, they make, for those of you listening who don't know, they make compost primarily out of sheep's wool and bracken. And it's this amazing combination, which I don't know how they would have thought up that. But it was just using it. I've never had such a soft compost, but I found the moisture retention of it really, really good for the pot. So I've actually got little containers outside of strawberries growing in that compost. And and even though we've had lots of warm weather recently, within the first centimetre or two, there, there's still moisture. So that that's something that's, that's worth having a look at. Um, and, and then what I do is once you've sown them, so cover them with half a centimetre of, of the potting mix and then keep them in a warm spot because this does help promote germination. And especially if you're starting in February, it's still quite cool. And if you're growing on a windowsill and we, and we can come back to looking at different types of windowsills and what the best are, because uh, they're so close to the outside, they're quite cool. So if you have an airing cupboard, or something like a radiator or something, putting the pots on top of here is just going to speed up the germination. And another thing I like to do is, so you don't worry about evaporation, is cut out a little cardboard kind of circle, which will fit over the top of the pot, put that over, and then every day or so, just check for sprouts. And as soon as you see those little seedlings emerge, then move them to a place with a lot of light to, to stop them becoming leggy. That is the enemy of sowing seeds indoors, isn't it? That problem with with legginess. I mean, you can get a lot of these elaborate kind of um, 
piece of kit now that sort of combine a grow light with yeah. um, a seed sowing kit. I mean, I can't, I'm, I'm a bit of a miser, as, as regular listeners will know, and I don't like spending money. I guess some of these can work, provided that you use that you're prepared to buy a bit of kit that you're going to use year after year. Those LED grow lights can really help with the problem of seedlings getting getting too spindly. Yeah, definitely. And, and the other thing is, is that there's a huge range. So you can go right for the the kind of beginner range all the way to really advanced. But the other thing is, is that some people aren't going to have a south facing windowsill because ideally you need at least six hours of sunlight a day for growing herbs indoors. So if you don't have that or you don't have an east facing, which is the second best option, then I would then say, look at any kind of LED grow light. And even if you're just getting started, I feel there's no harm in getting something, you know, maybe it's a bit naff and cheap, but what you're doing is actually you're you're building your experience through that and then you can then choose which direction you want to take. That's interesting that you're recommending keeping the seedlings in the same pot. And then presumably if you're a bit heavy handed with the sowing, you might need to thin out some of those seedlings if you've got too many in the pot. Actually, I'm not uh, a huge advocate of of thinning out, especially if, especially things like if I'm growing outdoors lettuce or something. I never thin that because of the way I harvest them, and I think it's the same for herbs. Just make sure that you don't have more than say three to five seedlings in a pot, but kind of sow them central, and they're going to grow a really kind of bushy stem, and they'll grow out, and you can harvest a lot more. Um, so, so don't be afraid. And, and another thing that I encourage people to do is to experiment and try different things. So why don't you compare the growth between a pot of three or four parsley plants versus a pot of just one plant? And then you can work out yourself which, which is best for you. That's great advice. And, you know, we're talking about sowing in February. It's now April. Uh, If anyone's listening to this straight away as it comes out, they may be thinking, oh, no, I've missed the boat. Is there a case that you can say, well, I'll just catch up? Yeah, that's the great thing about gardening indoors is that you don't have to worry about frosts. And even though during the winter, unless you do have some kind of supplemental lighting, they're not going to grow as fast, but you're still going to get fresh harvest on your windowsill. And that's something quite amazing, especially if you're in a lot colder climate as well. Let's just talk about a few lazy cheats here. People do buy uh, herbs from the supermarket <laughs> yeah. uh, in pots, uh, which, you know, I mean, I try to avoid this because it feels like most of the time it's unnecessary for me personally, but it happens. Is there anything we can do to prolong the life of those supermarket potted herbs or even finding some way of, of keeping them going um, over the whole of the year as opposed to just chopping them off and then consigning them to the compost heap yeah to be honest i'm not a huge fan of of buying herbs from supermarkets to grow in pots i've done that before and i somehow feel that there's either a curse on me or it's just this shared curse but they always seem to (laughs) die on you really quickly and i'm there like i'm really trying to look after you um but they they just seem to um give up so so if you do want to cheat I would say a better option is to go to a garden centre you like or trust or know has good quality because the, the quality of, of the actual production and growing is 
is I feel going to be a lot better than in a supermarket. So, so that's the first thing that I'd say. Now, if you are going to get herbs from a supermarket, the first thing that I would do is I would actually pot them up into a slightly bigger pot and use some fresh potting compost with that and then be very cautious with the watering. Try not to overwater them because I always feel whenever I buy um, herbs from a shop that and it, people might have different experiences, but for me, I feel the compost and, and it's pretty wet. I wouldn't call it moist, it's, it's pretty wet. And, and one of the things that is a, a huge problem of growing herbs indoors is that when you have a lot of moisture in the roots and in pots and they're kind of crammed in there, the roots then begin to rot. So something that you could try is like a, a, a little cheat or not really a cheat, but more of a hack is to use terracotta pots because um, just make sure that they're not glazed inside or outside because these are porous. So if you grow outside, you might have heard of these things called olas um, or, or however you pronounce them. And they, they give this really slow release of moisture into the soil. So what you can do is if you grow things in, in terracotta pots indoors, the clay helps lose that moisture from the soil, that excess moisture, and will reduce the risk of root rot. Tell me the name of that thing again. Ola. I think it's spelt O-double-L-A or Ola. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you pronounce it either, but I have seen these. Yes. I really want to give this a try in the garden where you've got this terracotta. It, I think the traditional ones are shaped like um, yes. well, like a, a, a wine decanter or something. So they've got a narrow neck. But you, I think you can do it just with a regular... Um, yeah. A regular terracotta pot can't you yeah I really want to give that a go because I've I've got two raised beds I mean really retrospectively I probably shouldn't have put these raised beds in because I have a very free draining soil they don't really help my raised beds but I think if I added some olives maybe they'd be better at I'd be better at growing some more thirsty crops there so yeah that's an interesting idea and I know you can you can also do this on a really small scale with um mixed plantings inside as well if you use a tiny pot um if you're going away um that is a good tip I don't know how to pronounce it though is it ola ola I couldn't tell you I, I don't know, but, but one thing I would say um, in terms of if you do want to use them outside when growing herbs um, is to kind of grow a clump of herbs around or, or say transplant them after you've put the oil pot in because they're actually quite big and it, it's not suitable for rows of crops. It's, it's suitable for a, a nice concentrated circular area. Well, you know, that's OK because I never sow anything in rows. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> I am. Nice I am natural. a sprinkler. I am life. I'm one of life's sprinklers. I'm not a, a, <laughs> a orderly row kind of person. Even when I had an allotment, I was always a bit freestyle. So uh, that sounds perfect for me. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. 
We'll be back with more Herb Chat with Hugh shortly, but now it's time for Question of the Week, which comes from Ashley, who has a problem with a bamboo plant. Although actually, looking at the photos, Ashley, I think your plant is much more likely to be a Dracaena than a bamboo. Although I can understand why you've got the two mixed up, because Dracaenas do have that trunk, which does bear a passing resemblance to bamboo. So uh, yeah, I think you have a a Dracaena and the problem you've got is that your golden retriever has taken an experimental bite on the shoots. Oh dear, naughty pooch. And now her poor boo, this is the name for her bamboo plant, uh, I think you might need to change that Ashley, is getting brown. She's repotted and, and in fact leaves are starting to turn yellow. So this doesn't sound great. Mechanical damage from the teeth of a pooch should not cause leaves to go brown. The plant may go into a bit of shock, but you know what? Dracaenas are incredibly tough plants. And usually uh, if they're chomped on, they will just regrow provided they're happy in their conditions. Which leads me to think that perhaps this plant wasn't happy in the first place, actually. I suspect that there may be an issue with overwatering. The yellow leaves are often a sign of overwatering if there's a lot of them. One or two yellowing leaves is, is fairly normal for most plants. Leaves don't last forever. They tend to be lost and they will go yellow before they fall. But if lots of leaves are going yellow, often that can be a sign of overwatering. Now, Dracaenas... They can stand an awful lot of neglect, which is why they are enduringly popular houseplants. I have a Dracaena marginata. You may have seen it on the Facebook Live the other day. Uh, I'm going to try air layering it for the Patreon episode, which could be fun. But for the moment, it's a very spindly but healthy Dracaena marginata, many years old, actually belongs to my other half. And I just chuck a mug of water on that every now and again, and it's absolutely fine. So they don't need fussing about watering every five minutes or so. So I would say, Ashley, it's good that you've repotted and perhaps the plant's just recovering from the shock of being repotted and the shock of your pooch eating it. And just keep off the water and see what happens. On the other hand, if the leaf tips go brown, it probably means your plant isn't getting enough water. So again, there's a careful balance here. So Ashley doesn't say whether, she just says getting brown. She doesn't say uh, whether it's tips or spots or what. But as I say, I suspect that this plant just needs less water. One other thing worth mentioning if you didn't know, is that Dracaenas are quite sensitive to fluoride in water. So if you live in an area with a fluoridated water system, it is definitely worth looking at watering your Dracaena with either distilled water or rainwater to get around this problem. Um, If they are suffering from a fluoride overdose, you'll see some brown marks on the leaves. Depends on exactly which Dracaena you've got as to how that will manifest. But if you're doing everything else right and your Dracaena still isn't happy, fluoride is definitely something to have a look at. Ashley, let me know how you're getting on with this plant. I'm sorry it's taken me a while to answer your question, but I suspect that your Dracaena will be fine. You've repotted it, uh, just ease off on that water. If you're worried about the roots and whether you have overwatered, take it out of the pot again and look at those roots and see what's going on. Check that they're nice, white and firm. And I don't know what to suggest with your golden retriever other than maybe find him some other way to keep his brain busy. But I'm sure as soon as he looks at you with this little squishy face that uh, all is forgiven. If you've got a question for On The Ledge podcast, drop me an email. Podcast at gmail.com. And if you can, 
please include a picture and lots of information about where your plant is sited, how long you've had it and what's been happening so I can do my best to really give you accurate information. And now back to my chat with Hugh and I wanted to find out what you can do when you've got one of those soggy supermarket herb pots. Can you add anything to it to sort out the waterlogging or is it just best repotted? Yeah, I, I would definitely stick to just repotting it. It's the most simple thing to do. I quite, I actually find it really satisfying potting on plants. Um, another thing that you could do is try putting it on a radiator or if there's a really sunny day and it's nice and warm outside, leave that pot outside and that will really help uh, reduce excess moisture. Uh, and actually something which is really important um, as well is, yes, I mentioned about having to use or, or using terracotta pots to help reduce that moisture. But one of the things, especially if you're growing on windowsills, you want to make sure that the pots have drainage holes, as with everything. However, you don't want any soil or compost or water to drain actually onto your windowsill and, and leave those stains. So if you're using a saucer underneath, make sure it isn't a clay saucer, or if it is, glaze it. Otherwise, it might look really nice and authentic, but it's still going to let moisture through. So, so that's just a really quick tip to bear in mind. Yeah, that is a good tip because, you know, I've ruined quite a few pieces of furniture with pots over the years. As long as it's your own furniture. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, it, and I find that... Um, that that is a really good tip and i also sometimes use in addition to that uh, just some i've got some slate um coasters which i put underneath because even when you've got a glaze thing sometimes the moist the sort of dampness can sort of permeate through if you've got if it's onto wood or something so i tend to have several layers of protection on things that i really care about something i i really like is um if you do want to look for quite cool sources or something is i like to use side plates and pick them up from either a thrift thrift um, shop or a, a charity shop or something like that you can get them really cheaply but you can get really cool designs so if you're looking for some kind of source of inspiration then i would go look at your local secondhand stores great and um when are there, are there any hope for anybody who says, well, look, I've got a west facing windowsill. I really don't want to buy grow lights. Is there anything edible that people with a, a bit less light can can go for without having to invest in grow lights or, or are grow lights really a necessity if you've if you're in a lower light situation for edibles indoors? I would say then if you are lacking light, you need to look a bit more towards the microgreen side of things. Because usually when you harvest those, they're actually still growing from the energy from the seed rather than having to photosynthesize. So something that I really think works well, are things like pea shoots, those are fantastic. Or you can look at other microgreens or things like cress, anything like that. In terms of herbs, they are going to struggle a bit, but I think there'll be a some, in terms of the best possible chance i'd probably look at trying to grow something like mint like a apple mint or something and just see how it goes but i would say if you don't try you don't know what's going to happen and even though it might be really disastrous if you lose a plant at least you've given it a go because the best thing that can happen is you find out that you can actually grow something on that windowsill. Exactly. And I'm glad that you mentioned mint because I think this is my all-time favourite herb and I have got 
quite a few different varieties of mint, which is all in my garden. But I do br sometimes bring a pot in over the winter. I don't know how many mints you grow, Hugh, but I've got I mean, I've had more in the past than I've got now, but I think I've probably got at least half a dozen. Um, and one of my favourites is mojito mint, which is designed specifically for putting in mojitos, which is rather nice. <laughs> Lovely. And one I have, which I've never seen anywhere else, and I, I can't tell you where I got it from because um, it's top secret. What can I say? <laughs> um, but I have got some lavender mint, which genuinely, wow. when you crush the leaves, smells of lavender. Wow. Which is really interesting can i grab um, some cuttings <laughs> yeah no seriously i'll i'll send you some uh, i'll send you some lavender mint it's really awesome we have um chocolate mint which is uh, yes i love cool. that too but there's i think there's about 600 different uh cultivars of 600 of, of, of mint in, in the no. family yeah so well <laughs> i think you need to add to your collection <laughs> Oh, well, you know what? I'm going to. And in fact, I'll put a link in the show notes to a place that I tend to get um, a lot of my mints from, which is called Plants with Purpose. And they're a little mail order nursery in the, the in, I think they're in Scotland. Oh, and wow. they always have lots of really weird mints that um, that I um, tend to like to buy. So I'll include a link to that. And the wonderful thing about having those mints in the kitchen is obviously it's very easy then to go and make your fresh mint tea and just oh, grab yes. some leaves off, which is fantastic. And I think if you ever need a mood boost, just squeezing some mint, crushing some mint between your fingers and, and, and having a sniff. I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, perhaps it's just me. No, I, I can completely see that. It's what I like to do is make a herbal tea. I think lemon balm is something else that you could try as well. But another benefit of, of growing these things is that they add a really nice fragrance indoors as well. I feel like they're almost a, a natural filter, uh, giving you a nice fragrance of air, especially if you just rub a couple of leaves every now and then. You just every so often get this little whiff of, of mint or or something else that I really like is basil as well. So, so it, I think another way of looking at it is, yes, it might not be extremely productive, especially if you don't have lots of sun or whatever, but you then also have the fragrant side and also you have a bit of greenery indoors, which is always going to be a benefit. You know, as you say, it might be not be a, a permanent plant, but it might come in for a few weeks at a time and then go back outside. No pun intended. Yeah, indeed. There's <laughs> uh, another one. Indeed, indeed. Um, I'm looking, in fact, I'm just looking out my office window at a huge clump of thyme, which I've just, I don't know, it's tripled in size. I don't know what's happened there. It's got huge. Um Time is another what is another wonderful one. But just going back to mint, the wonderful thing about mint is it's so you can just take a section of stem of that square shaped stem and it roots so easily, doesn't it? So it really is a very um You can root it in water. Yeah, I was gonna say I haven't rooted mint in water, but I'm sure it does root uh, very easily. And you mentioned lime, uh, lemon balm. Um, I think people often get mixed up between lemon uh, verbena and lemon balm. They're two different things. Yeah two different species of plants, but they both offer a kind of a lemony uh, hit. I guess you could grow lemon verbena indoors as well. I've not tried it, but I guess that would work as a temporary plant, but probably would need a lot of sun. Yeah, I haven't had any experience trying to grow that either inside. But that's my ultimate... Le I mean, the smell of those leaves is just... That's just like crack cocaine to me. The smell of lemon verbena leaves I could just sniff all day. Yeah. Okay, I'm starting to sound like a weirdo now, but and I it makes me despair when you see people buy, you know, plug in air fresheners. It's like just open the window and get some herbs inside. That's all you need to do to make your 
life much, much better. I, um, I also feel that what's important with things like growing uh, lemon balm or mint is when you're looking at the actual size of the container, they actually prefer something that's wider than, than depth. I think width in terms of their roots, because they're quite shallow rooted, is a lot more important than depth. So if you've actually got a windowsill and, and you can add a window box onto it, that's going to be perfect to grow things like mint and a bit of lemon balm. Oh, that's really interesting because yeah, that's very true, actually. Yeah, you do tend to find... I've just been repotting some mint in the garden, actually, and, and the roots tend to, after a season, tend to start circling round, don't they? But they don't go that deep. So that's a really good point. Another thing, when, you, when you're repotting something, especially when you're repotting something like a perennial, like rosemary or something, don't if the roots are kind of, as you described, going around the side, something that you can actually do is prune off the roots. Um, not all of them, but give the, the roots a prune. And that's just going to help um, contain the roots within the pot, make them not root bound. And it also helps control the size, size of the plant. So that's another thing that I would recommend. Brilliant. Well, that's a load of top tips there for people to put into action. But I want to know, Hugh, you're obviously a food growing man, but do you have any non-edible houseplants or are you, are you is that just not your scene? It isn't really my scene. We actually live in a really, it's a, well, it's a 300 year old Welsh cottage and the walls are over half a metre thick um, and the, the windows are fairly small. So we're kind of limited. So at the moment on my windowsills, I've got things like all the squash and, and tomato seedlings <laughs> coming through. Um, but in the past, yes, I've, I've grown things like geraniums or well, pelargoniums. Those, those are fun, but I kind of got fed up of the smell. Those, those aren't the best in terms of scent, in my opinion. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think that's a yeah, divider, that one. Some people love the smell, some yeah. people hate it. To me, it smells just like metal. Mm. Um, I don't know. But then I, when I was younger, I was fascinated about trying to grow things from supermarkets. So if I could get a mango seed to grow or an avocado seed to grow, or I, I was even successful growing kiwis from seed, not actual harvestable kiwis, but propagating the plants. And they, they grew about a foot tall and had these amazing furry leaves. So I always, in my bedroom, I'm fortunate to have two windowsills. And because it's an old house, one of the benefits is actually they're quite deep. So they're about 40 centimetres deep. So I've got a lot, lot of space, even though they're not super wide or tall. I've got a lot of space to play with. So when I was younger, my window seals in my bedroom would just be full of crazy experiments of trying to grow apple seeds, lemon seeds, all those kind of things. I need to tick two things off the list of things that people like you and I who are obsessed with plants as children grow. Did you grow carrot tops? That's one that I always used to do. Did you cut off the top of a yes. carrot, grow that? And did you grow a pineapple top? Those are the <laughs> those are the ones I always think of as being very... Um... I tried. I haven't been successful with a pineapple ah, top yeah. yet. It's it's actually harder than it looks. I mean, I, I'm trying yes. to think back and I, I've definitely tried it. I don't know if I ever succeeded with the pineapple. I certainly grew a lot of carrot tops over the years. Um, but that's all back in now. You know, I see that all over Pinterest. People, you know, cutting, um, getting the base of celery and trying to regrow things like that regrowing garlic and things like that so it's very it's very in vogue isn't it again to do all that stuff so, something i it does actually frustrate me a bit seeing all of this because they, they kind of give you this promise that you're going to get a harvest from it 
Um, that that's how I feel. That there's a lot of it, like grow your own food at home. Here's how you grow carrots from a carrot top, and I'm like, yeah, you're just going to get some leaves. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but there's a lot of bad advice out there, isn't there? Because of course, as you say, you're not going to eat. I mean, the most basic grasp of botany will tell you you're not going to get a new carrot out of that carrot top. Exactly. But yeah. um, but I think it's a nice it's a nice thing to experiment with, and even if you do try it, like you you're gonna you're gonna be on a steep learning curve, but you will learn about plants by doing that um and i guess that's the something, best way so it's so something which um which will work um is actually if you have if you're cutting up onions and you save maybe a top inch or two so top two to four centimeters and put that in water it, it might send up some green shoots which you can use like a spring onion um right. so, so there's one thing which you could try okay well but i mean anything that you can do that uh, gets you into contact with plants and experimenting is is can only, can only be a good thing well it's been really nice to talk to you Hugh thanks so much for joining me today and um happy growing and you too thank you so much to find out more about Hugh and everything he does check out janeperone.com where you'll find the show notes of this episode including details of Hugh's youtube channel and his new book veg in one bed and before we go, I just wanted to bring you a little bit of an on the ledge sew along extra. I sewed my Saracenia purpurea seeds this week and it was such an interesting process involving all kinds of things like washing up liquid and cold stratification that I thought you might like to come along and hear what I got up to. I haven't yet sown my Saracenia purpurea seeds, so I thought I'd stick the recorder on while I do this so you can see how this works because this is the perfect example of how some seeds have a seed coat that needs special attention to soften it up and get it ready to germinate. So these come from Chilton Seeds and I'm just going to follow the instructions on the packet. I'm opening up in one of these little, what are they called glassine? Glassine, is that right? These little opaque paper envelopes and pouring the seed into a small shot glass and I'm just going to follow the instructions on here so we've got to soak the seeds in warm purified water or rainwater with a tiny spot of washing up liquid which should help break down the waxy coating so let's get some washing up liquid and give this a go I'm going to have to try and do a tiny spot of it which I will do like that and now I need to go and get some rainwater Come with me to the garden, if you will. I've got a number of rain, rain butts, rainwater butts out here, which um, I can use to get a little bit of water. They're rather empty at the moment because it's been so dry here. And I'm going to have to go round to get to this one. Okay, the water's gone in and the seeds are now sitting there. I shall put this somewhere high so nobody accidentally drinks it. But this is part one, soaking the seeds. Join me again. Once the seeds have soaked, I'm not sure how long to leave them. I think I'm going to leave them overnight and see how they do. See you soon. Oh, well, it's a very chilly morning and I've come outside because it's time to sow my Saracenia papyria seeds, which have been soaking overnight. Oh, there's a bit of frost on the lawn. Oh, Wolfie. Wolfie's wearing his leopard print PJs and looking very stylish this morning. <laughs> okay, to the potting shed. It's a chilly one today. It's chilly, Wolf. Wolfie, you're going to have to come in here, otherwise you're going to get too cold. Are you coming in? 
bit crowded in here because I've got lots of herbs that I'm growing for a herb garden open day. So, okay, so I've got my purpurea seeds which have been soaking overnight. And the rest of the instructions tell me that I've got to put these in some moist, well-drained sphagnum moss or soil and place the whole pot in a polythene bag and cold stratify. Let's start off by getting some of the right compost first and I've got to have a dig around for it. <clears throat> I've got some specialist carnivorous plant compost here, which I'm going to use for this job. <coughs> there aren't many seeds, so I'm going to actually going to put these in quite a small pot because there aren't enough room to really put them into a seed tray. Wolfie's standing here looking a very aggrieved at the fact that it's chilly. Right, we'll just have to put up with it, Wolf, I'm afraid. Okay, I found a suitable pot. When you're potting things up that need to go in the fridge, you do need to bear in mind, size-wise, what's going to fit in your fridge. So as you know, carnivorous plants don't like tap water, so they need to be watered with rainwater normally, but I wouldn't normally use rainwater for seed sowing though, because that can introduce problems with damping off, which is a fungal condition. So in this case, I'm going to use distilled water, because that is pure, but it also doesn't contain the mineral salts that will cause a problem to the plants. So I'm going to take my seeds, I'm not quite sure how to get them out of this water and in, onto the soil. I'm just going to give them a, a little bit of a drain and then pick out the rest of the seeds as carefully as I can and, and let them go onto the surface of the compost. don't want to lose any because I haven't got that many. There they are, they're all coming out now. So they've been in this water with a tiny drop of washing up liquid which is going to break down that seed coat and get them to germinate. I think that's all of them. So cold stratification, this means that the seeds need a period of cold in order to germinate. So they won't germinate unless if, if they're stuck in a room temperature room because they need that cold period to tell the seed that it's time to start germinating. So these are going to go into a plastic bag, into the fridge and sit there for quite some time. Uh, what does it say? Four to eight weeks. OK, so I'm going to put a reminder on my phone that I need to check them in a couple of weeks time and then check them again two weeks after that to see um, how we're doing. And at that point, they will then go to a bright windowsill to germinate at around 20 to 24 degrees centigrade. It says that germination takes one to three months and can be erratic. Oh, I hate it when it says it can be erratic because that drives me crazy. But anyway, we'll just have to be patient, won't we? Um, and then we need to transplant the seedlings when they've got five true leaves. Okay, so these are looking good. I'm gonna write a label because I'm being good this year and writing labels. So Saracenia purpurea and the date. And wish me luck. We'll see what happens with these. I rather fancy having a light, nice load of Saracenias catching flies in the next few years. Right, I don't know where Wolfie's gone. He's standing in a sunspot, no doubt, sunning himself, as is his wont. Uh, it's very early on a Sunday morning here, so um, quietly having a look around my potting shed while I'm out here, <clears throat> it's good to see that 
the plants that I accidentally left out, despite the fact it was a really cold night. Uh, my new seed and burrito, dear, shouldn't really have been left out, but it seems to be okay. So I've, been, I've dodged a bullet there. And my sundews that I was telling you about previously, they're really looking very adorable now with these tiny, tiny tentacles covering the leaves, catching flies before long, no doubt. So that's it. That wrap, wraps up Saracenia sown for now. I will report back when I have some progress. Right, I'm off to give Wolfie his breakfast. Bye. I'm not sure I made it quite clear in that audio that the surface sowing of Saracenias is important. So surface sow just means sow them on the surface. Don't add any soil on top, which is exactly what I did for those Saracenias. They need light to germinate. So if you see surface sow, that's what it means. Do remember to keep me up to date with all your OTL Sew Along activities using the hashtag OTL Sew Along in your tweets, Instagram posts and Facebook posts. And if you want to contribute to Houseplant Fans of On The Ledge, you can click on the topics button to add the OTL Sew Along topic to your post, which makes it really easy for everyone to find your stuff. That's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week with episode 92. And in the meantime, whatever you're sowing, repotting or propagating, have a fabulous week. Bye. The music you heard in this week's episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops. An instrument the boy called Happy Day Gakana by Samuel Corwin and Water in the Creek by Josh Woodward with ad music by the Heftone Banjo Orchestra playing Dill Pickles. All licensed under Creative Commons. See janeperone.com for details. Mm-hmm.